Well, today I want to talk to you about a wake-up call. See, we all experience wake-up calls at different points in our lives. Sometimes they are adrenaline-based, which means it could be something as simple as like the little scurrying of furry feet in the middle of the night somewhere in your room, and your heart kind of catches in your chest like, what's that, you know? At other times, it could be that you were sitting in the middle of, of, of school, like a class or maybe a work meeting, and you were lost in some type of daydream or in thought or whatever, and all of a sudden you're being asked a question that you didn't hear and therefore have no clue what kind of answer you're supposed to give. These, these moments are, are adrenaline-based kind of wake-up calls, you know? But just as quickly as the feeling can come, the feeling goes. Unfortunately, throughout life, there are far more serious wake-up calls. Maybe more serious reality checks would be a way to, to, to mention them. But these are those moments when, when you kind of go all in and into sports, you know, and almost to the extent of sacrificing time and grades even, maybe relationships, only to get injured and be out for the rest of the season. Or it's when you get that first real medical bill or a medical diagnosis and your heart catches in your chest. Or when you lose someone that you love very dearly and you just hurt and you're numb to the world. We all experience wake-up calls. And, and here's the thing about a wake-up call. A real wake-up call always leads to change, though. See, that's the difference between something that's just adrenaline-based, you know, and it's just your, your body is, you know, like responding versus when it's one of those things that is life-altering. And a real wake-up call always leads to a change. And God uses them to grab our attention and to bring us back to him. He doesn't always cause the hard things in life to happen. Sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes things happen because of what somebody else did to you. But hear me, God always uses the wake-up call to bring us to himself, to call us to himself and offer us life. That's, that's one of the promises that we hold to. He offers us life. Specifically, Jesus offers us real life, but real life only comes through repentance. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That's the passage we're gonna be in this morning in fact, we're going to come to this, this, this story that Jesus uses. It's the story of a wake-up call type moment, and he's also using it for that purpose. See, by the time that we get to Luke 15, where we are in Jesus' ministry is, is he's been teaching and, and, and healing everywhere. And because of the authority by which he teaches, because of the power by which he heals, he's attracting thousands to him wherever he goes and it's because the message that he's preaching is a message of, of forgiveness and love and grace. And so as these thousands flock to him from all over, admittedly, the majority of them are the lowlifes who know they've messed up. They're the sinners who, who feel trapped and are, and are looking for grace and forgiveness. They're the brokenhearted who feel hopeless. And so they come because of his message of hope. 
But if you were to look just in the start of of Luke 15, there's another group of people that came around. And these religious leaders were called Pharisees. And as they watch and they see how, how Jesus opens his arms, and the Bible tells us that he welcomes these crowds and he welcomes this sinner and he loves on them. And it says that the Pharisees grew angry because of this. Perhaps it's because they felt like they were the only ones who deserved the grace and love of God. I mean, they, they, they spent so much of their life just trying to be good and to, to keep all of the commandments. Then when they saw these people that, that you know, were, were sinners and tax collectors coming, it made them angry that Jesus was just open-armed to them, preaching the love of God to them. But here's the problem. They had missed the point. They missed the point. See, Jesus wanted everyone to understand the heart of God and what he's really looking for. Repentance. Jesus offers us real life, but real life only comes through repentance. And so if you have found your way to Luke 15, we're going to dive straight into this parable, a parable that Jesus used to teach this, this idea of repentance to the whole crowd that was with him. But it had a very, very specific point that was to the Pharisee. So look with me in verse 11, and let's begin reading here. It says, he also, that's Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. And then when he went, he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to eat the, his fill of the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so he got up, and he went home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son began his, his rehearsed statement, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against, you know, in, in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then his father interrupts him and he turns to his servants and he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, which would have been the symbol of the family, and put it on his finger. And bring him new sandals and place them on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it for today. We're going to celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and speak through me what you would have us here. God, I pray that your word would confront our hearts and our lives and that, God, you would open up our hearts and you would guide us to the areas of our life where we might still need repentance or maybe even for the first time. God, that you would call people to yourself just like you did to Jesus when he was on the earth. God, would we hear your word and respond in Jesus' name, amen. This, this parable is, is one of perhaps Jesus' most famous stories. You know, Jesus would go everywhere and he would, he would teach with stories to try to communicate, you know, spiritual truth or, or reality in a way that was maybe easier to understand. And this is one of his most famous, called the prodigal son. It's even really where we kind of get our whole meaning for the word prodigal from. This story, and it's a beautiful story of repentance and love and redemption. And so we're going to break it down. And in order to do that, we're going to start with what I see as the first part of this story, what I call the reality. The reality is that we are far from God because of sin. Look in verse 11. Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. And then not many days later, he gathers up everything he has and he travels to a distant land, a distant country, and then he squanders it all in foolish living. See, Jesus wanted to be clear that sin is rebellion against God. It's rejection of God in favor of what we want. It's a pursuit of our desires over and against his own. Where, where, where rejection of God leads us to determine what we feel is best or right for us. And so understand this, when this younger son when he comes to his father and he says, Father, give me the, my inheritance that I have coming to me. He's not just rejecting his father, because hear me, by saying this, he's saying, I wish you were dead already. You are dead to me, so just give me what, I, what I'm owed and let me go. Because he wants to live his life his way and he wants to live it his way now. He doesn't want to wait to that time in some, some far future where his dad does pass and then he gets his inheritance because that's how we get one. He wants to do what he wants right now. And so he makes this demand of his father and he rejects him. Now look what happens next. As he demands to go his own way, the father gives him what he wants. And then in verse 13, it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country and he squanders it all. Well, what's crazy in this part to me is that everything he had was given to him by his father. And so as he rejects his father, 
and he goes his own way, this decision leads him far away because the reality is we are far from God because of sin. And what's more is Jesus even tells us the result. He squandered everything by living foolishly. In our culture today, you know, it's all about, you know, if it feels right, then it is right for you. And we celebrate this. We celebrate this sin and we, you know, of self-determination. Except that we call it self-love and identity. And yet when, 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 we, when we reject God to determine for ourselves what is right or wrong, we are committing the same sin that plunged this world into darkness. I mean, this is the same thing that happened to the very first two humans. When, when in, the, in Genesis chapter three, God gave Adam and Eve everything. He gave them everything to enjoy for their pleasure, for their good. And he said it was just this one thing, this one tree in the middle of the garden, that's the only one that's wrong for you. And yet what happened is that Adam and Eve, they began to look at that one fruit. And of course, that's the one fruit that they wanted. And the Bible tells us that to them, they began to see it as good, what God had called evil. That it was desirable to make them wise, what God said would kill them. And so they rejected God's word and they rebelled against God's way in favor of doing their own thing. And that's what we do today. In fact, every human of every generation since, this is at the core of who we are. We want what we want. And this is sin. And it's true of you and me as well. The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That means every single one of us has, has fallen into the same sin, the same trap of, of going our own way, doing what we want to do, rejecting what God has called good or, or bad and doing it our way. And the Bible even goes on to tell us in Romans 6, 23, what we have coming for us, right? Where, the, where Paul writes that the wages of sin is death. That's the paycheck. That's what we've earned. That's what we've put in and what we're about to take out because of this sin. And so when we waste our week worshiping the weekend rather than worshiping on the weekend, when, when, when we claim we don't have enough time for God while blowing countless hours on a TikTok scroll or our next Netflix binge, we end up far from God. When we lie to our parents or to ourselves, when, when we get sucked into porn on our phones or we gossip at school or at work behind people's backs, when we spend all of our money on toys and, and golf clubs and alcohol or pleasure, we prove that we are far from God. And that's the reality, that what we need what we need even this morning is a wake-up call. And so that's the second part of the story. The second part of the story is, is the wake-up call. That sin always leads to brokenness. 
Look down in verse 13 again. It says that not many days later, after the son demanded his inheritance, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And then he longed to eat the pig's food, but no one would give him anything. Sin always leads to brokenness. Now don't get me wrong. Let's be real for a second. The son is living it up at first, am I right? I mean, he's out, he's, he's partying, he's doing things his way. He's buying friends with his dad's money. Things are seemingly going good for him, except that he just spends it all. And then as all too often happens, life gets harder. And hear me, I don't even have to tell you this, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to anyway. Life gets harder, y'all. And when it does, he's left with nothing. He's left with nothing. And so what Jesus is teaching here is what we've all experienced in life. That sin always leads to brokenness. And brokenness is a downward spiral, y'all. Where, where it, it, it seems to appease us at first. It feels enjoyable or even fun maybe. It's, it's us getting to do what we want, right? And then, and then the consequences begin to set in. And just like this, this son, right, he, he spends everything on foolish living. And then when life gets hard, he has nothing. And so he ends up having to go for, to, to work. And what is lost on us was not lost on them. For the Jewish audience that Jesus was sharing the story to, pigs were an unclean animal. They, they wouldn't even eat bacon. And so the idea of going to work in a field where they were responsible for raising and feeding the pigs, that was the most unclean and disgusting job that they could have imagined. But not only that, he began to long for the food that the pigs were eating. And see, so that sin leads to brokenness, and that brokenness is that downward spiral, and it's an endless cycle. It's when we stick around with the wrong people so much that we begin to act like them. And after a while, we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. It's when, it's when we get hurt by someone else and we withhold forgiveness because they wronged us. And then slowly bitterness creeps in. And it begins to affect not only that relationship, but as always happens with bitterness, it begins to affect every relationship. It's, it's what happens when, when life gets hard, and just like this guy, when life gets hard, we look for an escape. And so we, we pursue books and movies and sports and alcohol or even drugs to try to, you know, to, try to numb the pain or to get away from, from, from the, the guilt that we feel or, or the lack of pleasure or the dissatisfaction that we have. And the only problem is when we turn to stuff, it lets us down because it's never enough. And so it always leaves us wanting more. And just like the son becomes disconnected from the father, 
And when life gets hard, he's left with nothing. Our sin creates a separation between us and God. That's, that is the, the current result of sin. It's the condition of every person who's ever lived. That, that our sin, that's so natural to us, it's created the separation. And so we're stuck in this life, you know, living it for ourselves, hoping things are gonna get better or change, and yet we're never satisfied. And so we become totally consumed with guilt over what we've done and feeling ashamed because of what's been done to us or what we've become. And then we become angry even at other people or even God because of how we feel or where we find ourselves. And you and I, we know it's true. I mean, all we have to do is look at our world and we see the clear brokenness. In, in, in this crazy political landscape that's just everybody's fighting and differing and having these issues, right? What's the one thing we can all agree on? That nothing is the way it should be. That's the one thing that everybody can agree on is nothing is the way it should be. Why? Because just like the father in the story who gave his son what he wanted, God has given us what we want. Perhaps there's no greater passage in the Bible that specifically teaches this than Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, and I just want you to hear this. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, for images resembling man and birds and animals. Stuff. They exchanged worshiping God for the stuff that they wanted or that they thought was cool or impressive. And they exchanged the truth of God. Excuse me, back up to verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over. You see what I'm talking about? God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts. And if I could just make it even more clear, keep reading down in verse 28. It's not in the notes, so this is free. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they would do what is not right and they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. It's about to get painful. And they are gossips and slanderers and God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil. And if you thought he wasn't talking about you, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Sin always leads to brokenness. Why? Because in our selfish demand for what we want in our own way, it's called the passive wrath of God. It's where he lets go of restraint and he lets you do what you want to do. And many of you in this room, like we, you know what I'm talking about and all of a sudden the consequences set in. That is what happens. And what's crazy to me is just like the son back in, in Luke 15, when things go from bad to worse and he has nothing, he stays and he tries to fix it by getting a job. 
and he throws himself into work, only it's the most degrading work he could possibly do. And here's the problem with us. Just like him, we think that we can fix our problem on our own. We think that if everybody would just, you know, do what, what is right for them, you know, if, if everybody would just get on the same page and we would all just, you know, be kinder, you know, and, and a little more loving, that things would just equal, everything would be fine, except it never has worked. If that could have worked, it would have worked hundreds of years ago. And instead, we're still in this brokenness. An endless cycle, and we are far from God because of sin. So what's the wake-up call? We'll look in verse 17. Jesus, when he's telling the story, there's this moment where everything shifts, and, and there's this wake-up moment. It says in, in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and yet I'm dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so the son comes to his senses and he begins to realize that even the lowest servant in his father's house is cared for by the father. And they have more than enough and that his father offers them life and what he's been doing is not it. It's not working. And so what happens is he begins to admit that he is wrong. So what about you? Are you tired of feeling alone and broken? I mean, isn't there more to life than than? than sin and shame and, and this endless need for more. The sin of trying to do things our way will always lead to brokenness and what we need is to wake up and realize that there is more to life, that Jesus offers us real life and it's a life full of peace and purpose and grace and, 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 and hope and love and joy. And the world lacks all of these things. It cannot offer you what you need the most. I mean, j j just think about this for a second. Where is the peace in our world overwhelmed by anxiety? What, what is the purpose or the point of the next coolest truck or the next iPhone? What, what is the purpose in life to, to, to sacrifice your family in order to climb the corporate ladder? What do you gain in the end? Is there any grace when you mess up? Do you show grace when others mess up? Do you have a joy despite your circumstances? See, the world lacks it all. And what Jesus offers us is real life, but that real life only comes through repentance. So I've said that word a lot. And if you've uh, you know, been around church for a while, or even if this is your first time kind of being in church and hearing the word repentance, it's kind of a, it's an interesting word. You and I, we don't question it, but you may not be able to define it. And so I would like to do that for you based on what I see just in this story. Because like I told you in the beginning, this parable Jesus is using 
to teach what is repentance. And so repentance is turning from what we think is best or what we want for ourselves and turning to what God says is better. It's, it's us realizing that our way is wrong and that God's way is right. And so the son realizes that his dad was right and he admits that he sinned and that he was wrong and he totally leaves, do not miss this, he totally leaves behind the life that he had made for himself and he returns to his father. See, it took him being broken to recognize the insanity of his sin and then to repent. He had to hit rock bottom. And my prayer is that it doesn't take that for you and I. But I, I'm worried that all too often that's, that is what it takes. We keep thinking that we can make it better, that we can rip our life back in the direction it needs to go. But you don't have the power to even tackle that same sin issue that has kept you trapped for years. You can't do it on your own. And the good news of the gospel is you don't have to. And so, so here, okay, we're getting ahead, we're getting ahead. See, we get to the third part of the story that I call the homecoming. And the homecoming is that Jesus offers new life. For this son, his father's about to welcome him home. Look at this in verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father, and, and, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Listen to the heart of God that Jesus uses in this story for the father. You ready? He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father interrupts and he calls the servants, bring the best robe and put it on. Bring the, the ring of the family and put it on his finger. Bring him shoes because he's, he's lost everything. He's been disgusting. And so now he's here. So we're, it's a whole new wardrobe, new look, new life. This is huge. And then he says, let's celebrate. Kill the fattened calf and let's make a feast. Why? Because this son of mine was dead and is alive Again, he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This homecoming, this, this father's response blows the son's expectations out of the water. I want you to, to, to notice he doesn't even wait for him to get home. He goes running out to meet him, to embrace him, to welcome him. Who does that sound like from the very beginning of, of Luke 15? What were the Pharisees so mad at? Jesus welcoming in these people. And, 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 but, that, but that's not all. Notice the difference between the son and the father. The son knew he had messed up. And he came expecting nothing. The father welcomed him and gave him everything. The, 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 to the son, you know, he, he, he was brokenhearted and alone, but the father throws a party when he comes home. When, see, when sin and rebellion had left him dead to his father, alone to himself, and lost and overwhelmed in sin, but his repentance brought joy to the father and a new life in a family and freedom from guilt and shame and sin. This is scandal of the highest order. 
Our culture, our world today knows nothing of redemption and forgiveness. I mean, like, just be honest. You and I are one of two people. We are either one and done, so when someone hurts us, it's over. Or we've got this very subjective tolerance meter that even though you might be able to take a whole lot, eventually you all, even myself, reach the point where sorry is not good enough. And so there is no redemption in our culture today. But in Christ, we can be forgiven. We can find redemption and new life. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what this son encounters. That's what those crowds were experiencing with Jesus. But what about the second son? Really the first, he's the oldest, hadn't been talked about since or really at all. He's the Pharisee. Look as we wrap up in verse 25, check this out. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he summoned a servant to ask, what's going on here? And in verse 27, your brother is here, he said, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so then the older son, he goes into the house and he celebrates with everybody because it's his brother's home, right? No. He becomes angry. Who's it sound like? He didn't want to go in. And so he rejects the father's mercy and he dishonors his father by making him come out to him. And what does he say to the dad when he comes out? He replied to his father in verse 29, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. I've done it right. And yet you never gave me so much as a goat that I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, when, when, when he returns, you slay the fattened calf for him. And the father said, son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. See, this older son, he had worked so hard to be good that he believed he deserved the joy and love of his father. But he was too selfish to love anyone else. He was too prideful to celebrate the change in someone else. He, he, was, he was so selfish, so self-focused that he would have even actively hindered his brother finding redemption. So which son are you? We're going to move into a moment here where I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to respond to God's word. See, Jesus offers us real life, but real life only comes through repentance. You want the news flash, the, the, the whole moral, the story, you ready? Both sons needed repentance. The difference is the younger son knew he had messed up 
And he turned from the life he had created for himself and he turned back to his father and he came. Whereas the older brother thought he was good enough with everything he had done. And so he even rejected his brother coming home. And here's the problem with the story. It's incomplete. Because unlike the father in this story, God knew that you and I would never come back on our own. And so he didn't even wait for you to turn around. He sent his own son, Jesus, to this world to live perfect because you and I can't. To die on the cross and you're in my place because to him we were worth it. And he offers life, redemption, purpose, grace, and hope. And all he asks is that you and I would turn from our sin and all the stuff we've been trying to fill our lives with, that we would admit that we were wrong and that our, our way is wrong and we would turn to, to, to God through faith in Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up here. I'm gonna ask our pastors to come down front and we're gonna move into a moment where I want you to give it some serious thought because God has you here for a reason. And regardless of if this is your first time even in a church building and you've never even heard the message of Christ coming and dying for you or whether you've been a believer for a long time, here's the thing. Sin is sin. And sin always leads to brokenness. And so regardless of where you are in your walk, you and I, we need to repent of the things that we've been pursuing over God. So this morning is your wake-up call. What sin has you trapped? How far has it taken you? Who are you hindering from coming to Jesus by your unforgivingness? How are you hindering yourself? Because that's the problem about sin. We think we want it. And we end up being trapped, feeling like we can't get out. You and I need to repent. And so here's what that means for you. You need to admit your sin. You need to take responsibility for how you have been living your life. And you need to turn to God and ask for forgiveness. And then we need to leave the sin behind. Just like the son left that life behind, we need to leave it we need to quit it and we need to run in the opposite direction towards God following his word and his ways. That's what it means to repent. We all experience wake-up calls, but real wake-up calls lead to change. So what needs to change in your life? I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And in a moment, we're going to open up these steps all the time we refer to this as the altar. And we say, hey, you know, if, 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 if you need a church family, come on down to the altar and talk to one of our, our, our team. We would love to have that conversation. If you need Jesus and you know that you've been living your life in your own power and you've never repented of your sin, you've never followed Christ, come down to the altar and talk to one of our team and tell them, I want Jesus. And we would love to have that conversation with you. But do you know why we call it the altar? We're not sacrificing animals. You're sacrificing 
yourself. The part of you that you've been holding on to without giving to Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you, if there is a sin issue in your life that the Holy Spirit's been, been beating you up aside the head with as we've been reading the word of God and he's saying, just give it to me, would you just come, bow at this altar and say, God, I need your help. I am a sinner and I have sinned against you. God, would you give me the faith to believe, to overcome, and to follow you. Whatever the Holy Spirit would have you do, respond as the Lord leads.